We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Loaded Friday on College Sports Now. And you know Friday means we're talking women's hoops. Rob Joyce, Megan Gower, we have a lot to get to, Megan. First off, how is life? How is your week been? It's been crazy, but it's starting to calm down. (laughs) Well, that's good because we have a crazy show coming up. We'll recap everything that's happened in the last few days. South Carolina passed a couple of tests. UCLA got Lauren Betts back. Caitlin Clark, you may have heard she went bananas in setting the NCAA scoring record. I also will have to later publicly apologize to a program I entirely dismissed last week, who then proceeded to tell me in no uncertain terms to shove it. And we have a guest. One of the hottest teams in the country, the Oregon State Beavers, swept the mountain schools last week on the road. Big ones this weekend at home against UCLA and USC. And yesterday, Megan and I had a chance to chat with the man who runs the show in Corvallis, head coach Scott Rubick. So we'll play that for you uh, in a little bit. But Megan, our resident bracketologist, we have to begin with last night's initial top 16 reveal by the tournament selection committee. Uh, If you missed it, we'll quickly run through it. Albany won. South Carolina is your overall number one seed with UCLA, UConn, and Louisville, two through four. Stanford, the number two overall seed with Texas, Portland, or Oregon State, excuse me, and Indiana in Portland. Uh, Ohio State in the other Albany regional. Ohio State, NC State, USC, LSU. And then Colorado, the fourth number one seed right now with Iowa, Virginia Tech, and K-State. And that quadrant would also be out in Portland. So, Megan, uh, wherever you want to start your reaction to the top 16 from last night. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest surprise here, right. Is Colorado on the one line. I don't think it's not something I had. I don't think it's something ESPN had. I don't think it's really anything anyone had on their, their whiteboard for last night. So I was surprised to see that. Um, and I think the committee, the committee chair came out after and talked about how the quality of losses was a big factor and feels like that's probably what's driving Colorado being there. They've only lost to other teams 
that are in this top 16. I don't think there's, they'll stay there personally, but th that is where they are right now. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, you had them as a three seed in your latest bracketology. The only real discrepancies they had between your bracket and theirs was, yeah, Colorado, and then you had UConn as a two. Um, and Huskies, I think they may have reached their ceiling as a three, but we can talk about that in a bit. But Colorado, their number 19 strength of schedule. They do have three wins against teams currently in the top 16. So does Iowa. But again, that loss to Nebraska, probably the mm -hmm. difference. Uh, who else has three wins against uh, NC State? Three wins against top 16 teams, including a win over Colorado. So the loss to Miami is probably the difference. But at the same time, if we're judging quality of losses, like you can poke holes in it. Like UConn has quality losses. Right. You know, Oregon State has quality losses, but they're a three seed, even though they're 20 and three. Indiana has quality losses. They're a four seed. So, I mean, just, you know, you can poke holes in all this argument um, and it'll settle itself. Yeah. But yeah, I think the consensus outside of the people who make the decision was that was probably a surprise. Um, any other surprises? I mean, we talked last week, like beyond South Carolina, throw darts. Um, and I, I feel yeah. like largely, like I don't have many issues with any of this. Yeah, that was the one thing I took. There's two things I have issues with. UCLA as seventh overall just felt really low to me. I think we've seen, seen them be so good. Those two losses to Stanford and then to Washington State, no Lauren Betts. I, I would have thought they would have been higher. Honestly, especially considering, you know, right now in the net, they have the number one strength of schedule. And that's not just Pac-12. That's what they did in the non-conference, too. So I thought they should be higher, I think, in all likelihood, as long as Lauren Betts is back and they finish out the season strong, they probably end up higher. So it doesn't really matter right now. Whatever. The other thing I took issue with was Gonzaga not getting in. I, I thought they should have made it in and was disappointed to see them not get that. I thought... They can't control their conference, obviously, but they're just decimating every single team that's in that conference. And I thought what they did in their non-conference should have been enough to put them on the four line. I was particularly disappointed to see Indiana in over them. I just thought that Indiana hasn't capitalized on any opportunity to pick up a, a good win and haven't really played anyone in the non-conference. And I just thought that Gonzaga deserved it more. Yeah, Zags beat Stanford handily. The game was at home, but that game was, a, I think, a 16 or 18 point win for the Zags. They beat an Alabama team that may or may not make the tournament. Their only losses at Washington State, and that tournament team comfortably, and then on a neutral floor to a top 16 team in Louisville. So maybe that could be the deciding factor. Louisville, they were the 16th and final team revealed. So that might be the difference. Um, I was a little surprised. I thought they might rank Notre Dame higher than they probably should be. But of course the Irish followed that up by scoring 43 points and justifying their absence. Um, I also, what's the point of the net? Like, yeah, what's, what's I, thought, I did have it? an issue with that too. Because like, like if you're like, going to put the 15th team on their one line, let's just, why even bother with it? <laughs> well, like last year, LSU was a three seed and they were what, like third in the net. Like mm -hmm. if you look at the net this year, hasn't been updated yet, but UConn is still sitting third in the net. Utah is still sixth in the net. They're barely ranked. Uh, Gonzaga's 11th in the net. They're not among the top 16 teams. Notre Dame is 13th. Like, you have 
three top 15 teams, 13 teams that are either a four seed or just not there. Like I, I don't understand the algorithm that makes it. And I don't understand the committee. Like, I understand it's not the end all be all, but they seemingly don't really pay much attention to it. So like, why does it exist? Yeah. I I thought that was interesting. I think you can see the argument for Colorado on the one line, but I would have never thought they would be there. I would have thought that being 15th in the net would bar you from falling on the one line. And clearly that's not the case. So yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily like a bad metric. Like I think it does a decent job. Like it aligns up well with some of the other metrics, but yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah. To be clear, I don't have like the the world's largest deal with Colorado being a one because again, it'll all settle itself. The purpose of this experiment is to have the exact conversation we're having now is to talk about it. The only reason they do it. When's the next one? Two weeks? Yeah. In two weeks. So it'll be interesting to see what changes and how. I don't know. I I did kind of feel like they've applied different criteria to every team. So it makes it really hard to predict what the next one will look like. Yeah. Uh, Where do you want to start with this recap? Probably we'll just go reverse chronological order. Want to talk South Carolina. They got tested last night in a way that Tennessee has the size that few teams have that can, I don't want to say go toe to toe with South Carolina because they couldn't for 40 minutes, but you know, you can deal with it more than most teams can. And that's after the Gamecocks pretty much swept away UConn by midway through the second quarter. Yeah, I thought it was surprising. I honestly didn't expect that to be much of a game. I had it on because it was after the reveal. But I was like, I'm probably going to turn this off at halftime. And obviously did not do that. Um, I thought it was an impressive showing from Tennessee, but also South Carolina just had a bad night. And I think that's more what it comes down to. And despite having a bad night, they still win. So I think that that just shows how good the Gamecocks are. And Tennessee uh, threw, down, threw away a chance to, to firmly put themselves in the field down the stretch. South Carolina's reached that point that you know, Tennessee used to be at, that UConn used to be at. Beating them, it's a 40-minute effort on your part. You need a little bit of help from them as well. Um, that if they play even a B plus game, ninety nine out of a hundred times, like doesn't matter how well you play, it won't be enough. And you got to do it for forty minutes. Like Tennessee did it for thirty two ish minutes, and it wasn't enough. And again, they they did kind of like LSU. They bullied South Carolina for a half, but by the fourth quarter, they weren't able to bully them anymore. We're, last week we were looking for things to nitpick for South Carolina. I found one. Because after the UConn game, I was, I kind of thought they're kind of like Alabama football in that for so long. I know you're not a football person, but Alabama would win national titles. Like they like winning games like 17-14. And they like just being bigger and stronger and bullying everyone. Kind of like South Carolina. And then they lost to Deshaun Watson. And Nick Saban basically went, oh, I need to score. And revamped his whole philosophy where, yeah, sure, he's still bigger and stronger and more of a bully. And they'll still win games 50 to nothing against, you know, your lower tier team, just like South Carolina still wins 100 to 40 against, you know, your lower level SEC teams. But then I thought after last year, the loss to Iowa, Don went and went, okay, I need to shoot threes more. And I just need that threat to get taking a pow pow. You saw it Sunday. She lit up UConn. They didn't stand a chance. Then last night, they kind of reverted back to form. It's like 70 field goal attempts. You only attempt nine threes. Like you don't need to chuck it up 40 times. There are teams that can 
deal with you physically. Like you have the capability. Just lean into it a little more. That's mm-hmm. all. That's my nitpick. They're still the best team in the country. They're, you know, they could easily finish undefeated. There's my one. There's my one thing. Am yeah, I, I agree. I think. No, I, I totally agree with that. Stick to what's been winning you games. And I feel like this game, too, maybe just came down to a little bit like coming off the UConn game. You stepped up for that game. That was the big one. And then just a little bit of fatigue from that. And, you you know, Tennessee's not very good this year. It's not the big game. But, yeah, I think you got to go to what's winning you all these games to begin with. That's fair. Ashlyn Watkins, though, like they need to, I, you know, I say figure out. Like she needs to get on the floor more. And Camilla Cardozo is really, really good. You saw her impact last night, but boy, this Watkins is blossoming in the last few weeks before her eyes. Yeah, I thought she was huge in that UConn game. It was pretty clear that UConn had a strategy of okay, we're gonna let her shoot that mid-range jumper, and she just absolutely killed them with that. She hit pretty much everyone that she took. Um, and then on the defensive end as well, especially in the UConn game, she's just been she was fantastic. So Definitely. I think a piece that's going to matter for them come the tournament when you need that depth and you need someone else to step up. Uh, last week, when Brenda Free said after the Terps lost to Iowa, we're an NCAA tournament team and you saw it in the loss. And I, I pretty much dismissed it, but then I watched Tennessee last night and I watched you know, a team like Duke last night lost to Virginia Tech going, oh, these are tournament level teams. So I'm trying to be fair here. Like From the Tennessee standpoint, can you improve your resume? with a loss like that? I think in a way, because it's a big ticket game and people are seeing that. I also think teams like Tennessee and Maryland are just going to benefit from being Tennessee Tennessee and Maryland. Like, if it comes down to it and they're on the bubble and it's them over Vanderbilt or whatever their non-powerhouse team, like, who do you think is getting in? Yeah, St. Joe's, exactly. The the second A-10 team that should make the field that will, like... It was getting it. It's it's gonna be Tennessee. It's gonna be Maryland. I, like I unfortunately, I think you see it like in the reveal last night. Like Gonzaga's not gonna get in. Like that's just how it goes. <laughs> yeah, Zags I think hosted last year. Um, mm, no, Nova did though. Nova was the big one that got to host last year. That's right. Um, other Thursday results. We don't have to go. I've said all I need to say. I think about Notre Dame and like last night proved it. Yeah. The the offense. Put up 43 at home. I don't care that NC State has a has you know they're a top 10 defense. Don't put up 43 at home. I'm I'm beating a dead horse here about my my thoughts on the limits of their offense. Yeah, exactly. Like Hannah Hidalgo absolutely has the talent to make someone pay in the tournament, but I, their offense is probably not enough for them to go far. Uh other Thursday results. We we talked about it last week. In Caitlin Clark's legacy, well, she officially broke the record in the most Caitlin Clark way that <laughs> ever Caitlin Clark said, contest, you know, somewhat contested pull up thirty five footer from the edge of the logo. <laughs> I'm starting to revert back to last year, though, when I look at this Iowa defense. Now they've given up eighty plus, I think, in four or five, and they're winning it. I mean, if she's going to put up forty nine points, right. they're going to beat pretty much everyone on a given night. I'm, I'm trying not to go back to last year and, and our thoughts because we, we wound up being burnt on it. I just we can talk about yeah. her on the record and the 49 points, and that's incredible. And we'll t- get to that in a second. I just I'm starting to go back to last year of if you're going to give up 80 every game, it just takes once for Caitlin Clark. 
like Sunday, to not be Wonder Woman. Yeah, exactly. I'm starting to get that concern too because it's not like you never they're not, just you never didn't have that concern. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I've always had that concern, but I think you're seeing it right now because it's one thing when you're giving up 80 to Ohio State or Indiana, like these other you know top 16 type teams, but you're giving up 80 to and Nebraska's a tournament team. Michigan, eh, we'll see. Uh, they're right there on the bubble, but. Yeah, it's just it makes you worry, especially they get the wrong matchup come March. And like when we get to March, so much of this is going to be about matchups outside of South Carolina's region. Like, I think all we're going to be talking about is what matchups favor which teams, but they get the wrong matchup. I think they're at risk for an upset. I think, I mean, it's it's been this team for a while, right? Like, you look at that Creighton upset two years ago, it's like the right matchup with a team that can score. It, it could take them down. Yeah, uh, the last four games, 85 allowed in the win at Maryland, 93 allowed. They scored 111 against Penn State. Gave up 82 at Nebraska, and then 89 in the win over Michigan. Again, these are comfortable wins in the wins, in the loss. Caitlin Clark went scoreless for the first time ever in the fourth quarter. And All right, so last week, my Mia culpa. I poo-pooed the Huskers as much as anyone as I ever have a team. Basically said, like, here's your analysis. They're going to lose. And that was it. <laughs> well, I wasn't right. I was wrong. Um, on top of that, got word that we have uh, some Nebraska staffers that listen to the show. So a couple of thoughts. One, one, thank you for listening. Leave a review about how foolish you made me look. Number two, I'm an idiot. Number three. They got Iowa and then Ohio State back-to-back. Like, did they eat the commissioner's yogurt out of the communal fridge or something? Because that's just, <laughs> that's rude. Four, did I mention I'm an idiot? And then five, <laughs> I am not above being becoming the resident hater and just poo-pooing Nebraska <laughs> the rest of the season. You know, who do they have? Let me look it up. This weekend at Purdue, no chance. Home to Northwestern? Are you kidding? You're going to lose. You're going to go one and done to the Big Ten tournament. You're going to eke into the NCAA tournament, and you're going to be one and done. No chance. The cost of me saying this, I want to rank. Big Ten, <laughs> national championship, I'll send you my size. I would love a <laughs> ring for me becoming the resident Husker hater, if that's what it takes. <laughs> Willing to do it. Um, no, Nebraska, though, they're what they that's a I know they lost big to Ohio State, but that's is that a seed line jump? Like they're probably what they were like in that nine, 10 range. Is that enough to leap you to like a seven or an eight? Yeah, I want to say, did I put them on the seven line this week? I'm looking for them. I don't remember where I put them. I thought I put them as a seven, but I don't see them. So I feel like I'm slowly losing my mind. You put them as a 10. Ah. Uh, they probably UNLV shouldn't. in Portland too. Yeah, yeah, they maybe should move up a little bit. And they they have a winnable yeah. schedule. Purdue, Northwestern, yeah. Minnesota, Illinois. Take care of business. That Illinois game is on the road. To, it could be a little tricky in the yeah. home game to Minnesota, but take care of business. And you're talking about a, a sneaky seven eight seed that you know clearly they right. have the capability of beating a one or a two in the round of thirty two. So my apologies to the good folks in Lincoln. Um, yeah, I'm I'll settle for a T shirt why I have them as a 10 because <laughs> I'm like, I'm sure there's a reason for it. And I just forgot who they lost to. That's bad. 
that I don't love. They that lost to Rutgers lost. the week before. That's, yeah, that's why that's, I poo pooed yes, it so much. Yes, they lost at yes. home to Rutgers by a point, and Rutgers, I think that's their only conference win this year. So you proved me wrong. My sincerest apologies. But again, I, I send me send me some swag, and I'm happy to to be <laughs> to be the the evil media man who doesn't believe in you, and if that wills you to wins, happy to do it. Um, other Thursday takeaways. Virginia Tech, Duke, Elizabeth Kitley is good. Duke's a tournament team. They salvage a split. I, you know, we talk about the ACC every week. Heck, I still don't know. Um, and then Cuse, Miami. Do the Orange? Do the Orange have a shot to host if they win out? They're twenty-one and four. They've won four in a row. I think they do. I think they're one of those teams that's kind of they're on the five. I have them on the five line, five line right now, so they're definitely in range. I'm looking at who they have left in the regular season because I think a lot of it now comes down to not just are you going to win those games, but like do you have chances to you know make a statement? They still have Duke and NC State, so yeah, they still got two chances at, at good wins there. So yeah, I think they're part of that conversation. I think a team like Louisville in that last spot is vulnerable. A team like Indiana, like if they don't beat, they have they have either Ohio State or iowa again and if they don't win that game like quite frankly i don't think they deserve to host i don't really think they deserve to host right now so yeah i I think there's room for someone to move in there miami i think they're They're comfortably on the right side of the bubble four and one the rest of the way is probably doable they don't have any of the ranked acc teams coming up that means you also have four or five chances to take a bad loss but canes are comfortable i imagine if not even after last night yeah, they're, they have them on the nine line. So, yeah. yeah, I think at this point, unless they really fall apart, they, they're in. Uh, your latest ACC standings, Virginia Tech still sits atop the league at 12-2. and two. Syracuse a game back, and then NC State and Louisville uh, a game and a half back. Did you see the end of that Cuse-Louisville game on Sunday? I did not. I missed it. I saw your comment and had to go, like, look at what, it, what, what happened. <laughs> so if you missed it. Louisville was up one. I admittedly didn't see it in real time. It was up one against Syracuse. And I think they might have had a foul to give. They fouled. They had to have fouled Aisha Fair with like two seconds left. And they ruled it an intentional foul. And the video is circulating around. It looked like any other foul in the history of teams trying to either, you know, generally when you're down, you're putting an opponent on the line. Or if you have a foul to give, you just burn it. There wasn't anything uh, anything bad about it. Like, she didn't try to play the ball, but she didn't, like, grab the arm and rip it backwards. There was nothing malicious behind it, and they ruled it intentional foul. Cuse makes two free throws, orange win, ball game. Jeff Walls said, give me my fine. I'm complaining about it. And he got his fine, in, in <laughs> fairness. Like, you didn't see it, but just, we saw it in the national championship game. We need to blow up and redo and it's not going to happen because of for a lot of reasons but blow up officiating in all of college basketball men's and women's and redo it all yeah unfortunately sometimes yeah officiating becomes the story and that's never what you want but we could complain about it all day on this podcast so i think we can just leave it at that yeah so but because of it i mean you're talking the difference between right now louisville would be uh, be eleven and two. They'd be a half game out of first mm-hmm. yeah, in the ACC. It matters, yeah, right. And Syracuse on the flip side picks up a win. 
and now they sit a game out of first, and that's a win. Doesn't matter how. It's a win over a team that right now is ranked in the top 16 that could get you into the top 16 if you know you go on a heater. Um, other midweek things, Wednesday. When do we start taking Oklahoma seriously? They beat Baylor. They've won nine straight. They won handily at Iowa State. They beat K-State. They won by four at Texas. Like when when do we start saying, all right, this is yeah. better than you know a 24th ranked team country in the country? It feels like that, but it's like it's hard to get over how bad some of those early season losses were like that loss to like Southern University. Like I don't even know where Southern University is. No offense to Southern Jaguars. University. <laughs> um Jaguars. Jaguars. Uh they are in, admittedly, I don't know either. I think they're in Texas. Okay. Keep talking. I'll yeah. look at them. They're definitely better than they were at the beginning of the season. I, what I've started to get to is like, is the Big 12 really that good at all? Like, I, concerns. I think we've seen like, and I don't want to discount what Texas has done without Rory Harmon because I think it's really impressive, but like, are they continuing to win at the level they are without Rory Harmon because they're that good or because the Big 12 is, is just not that good? And I think it might be the latter. First of all, Southern is in Baton Rouge. Ah. My apologies to the good folks. You're, you'll be going to that neck of the woods. Kind of. Um, yeah, Texas, I think we talked last week. So th- that's a different tale than you said last week, where I thought we were too quick to jump off Texas, and I said they might still be Elite Eight Final Four good. And now it seems like you're backtracking a little bit off that. I mean, Oklahoma, yeah, I, think, I just is- feel like we've seen, like, Kansas State, like the top, the teams that are supposedly the top of the Big 12, like Kansas State. I mean, yes, it was at least first game back, but they still lose to Iowa State, the team that's, I don't know if they're firmly on the right side of the bubble. They're very much on the bubble. You've got Oklahoma team that, I, like, I'm not saying they're bad. I think they're better than people think they are, but at the same time, like, the loss still happened. And I don't know that you go from losing to Southern to a top. 15 team like in the span of a couple months that's that's a big jump sure the other losses princeton top 25 mm-hmm. team tennessee by three unlv borderline ranked team uh north mm-hmm. carolina and then at k-state a loss they avenged i'll be i think i don't think aoka lee played in that game but still they got it yeah i'm not saying they should host they might be a f- like they could be a sneaky like five seed, yeah. That you know if they may if they were to make the Sweet Sixteen, I don't, okay. I don't think you'd want to yeah. play them at least right now. Um, Baylor, we'll keep their free fall continues. continues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Iowa State, a much needed double overtime win against K State with Aoka Lee back. She played thirty three minutes. She looked a little rusty. She wasn't overly efficient, but twenty point seven blocks. So I think barring a meltdown. You have them as the last four in, and you updated that after Wednesday, right? No, yeah. you did that. Yes, you yeah, did it was after morning. Wednesday. I think they lost a game before that, right? There was like a they lost one over the weekend or something. I can't keep track of all of this in my head anymore. It's too much. Yeah, coming <laughs> off back to back losses, and yeah, at UCF, that's yeah. a bad loss. Yeah, that was a bad loss. So yeah, that's why they didn't get quite the bump for beating K State. It's a good win, but it kind of just balances out the 
the loss that you scored with TCF. That's not a good loss at all. Yeah, they'd lost five of seven coming in, and there's an asterisk there. One of those two wins was the forfeit against TCU. So realistically, they'd lost five of six. Um, they go to Texas on Sunday. Would a win Sunday basically cement things for them? Barring, again, barring so. losing yeah. out. Yeah, probably. I feel like it's it's hard to tell right now because you're getting to the point where it's like there is a handful of conferences now that have like teams I think are at large bids. You've got like your Green Bays, your a couple other your UNLVs, like teams that even if they lost in their conference tournament final, I think should get in. So so you're looking at probably. like Princeton, yeah, Green Bay, UNLV, the. Middle the Tennessee eight. is starting to get into that territory. Is too. Richmond? I know St. Joe's is there if Richmond wins. Is Richmond there if St. Joe's wins the auto bid? I think so. I think they're both right there. Um, I mean, obviously, really, like it depends what happens. Right. But yeah, I think those two teams are there. So the bubble starts to shrink if you get some upsets in the, the tournament. So it's hard to say. Like someone that's kind of like Iowa State, I'd say is firmly on the bubble. It's hard to say right now. I feel like the bubble, you would know better than I am. Is the bubble stronger than most years? Like I look at some of these teams you have as the last four and like Tennessee, I feel like is again, you have November matters, but mm -hmm. they're pretty good. St. Joe's is good. I think Iowa state is a pretty good team. You know, where some years you're looking at it going like, these are the last four in. Yeah, why did they like put some random and major team in place instead? Yeah, yeah, it does feel better. Like I feel like these are teams that we've seen one win tournament type games, right? We've seen them beat well, other than maybe Tennessee. We've seen them beat opponents of like the caliber. Sorry, Tennessee. But, like, the they've, teams they've that really you like struggled. secretly hate <laughs> it's just the little digs. I don't even hate Tennessee. It's just like frustrates me how bad they are with the amount of talent that's on their roster like they just should be so much better right not. like you see them last night like going you know toe-to-toe -to -toe with clear-cut best team in the country for right. 30 minutes and it's like where where, where was, was this? this in tuscaloosa when you laid an egg in the second half to bam i get it yeah uh pack 12 we'll save the oregon state talk we'll we'll get to the scott rook interview in a bit story of the weekend the pack 12 Lauren Betts is back for UCLA, and that changes the game. She came off the bench both games? One of the games so. she did. Either way, she played like 20-plus minutes. Arizona schools aren't the best, but you see the impact. She comes back, and the defense reverts back to form. Arizona scores 58. ASU scored 45. Neither cracked 35% field goal. There's your Lauren Betts effect. And now that we know she's back, we know she's coming back. She is playing the rest of the season, seemingly. As opposed to last week where we said, well, I, you know, we just, we can't definitively say anything. Well, now we can. UCLA, again, the losses have to matter with or without her uh, on the resume. Four losses in seven games in the span of a month has to matter. But Bruins are right up there with anyone else now. Again, confidently, I can say that. Yeah, I agree. I think with her on the floor, they are. A top two, top three team in the country. Like we've seen it most of the season. Yeah, they've dropped in rankings and stuff in the last few weeks, but I, I think they're, I mean, we'll get a really good idea this weekend because they've got Oregon State, but I think they're probably right back up there. That is a good segue 
Beebs. Last week, I wanted them to split the mountain schools on the road, and instead, they go to Utah and win. And then it got a little, a little dicey in the fourth quarter, but they were blowing out Colorado for most of that game. So they go 2-0. and They are 20-3 and overall. And yesterday, Megan and I had an opportunity to speak with the head coach in Corvallis, Scott Ruin. We'll chat with the head coach next here on College Sports Network. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We now go west on College Sports Now. We're heading to Corvallis to talk to one of the hottest teams in the country. 20-3 and overall. Ranked 11th in the nation. Winners in 8 of 9. Big home matchups this weekend against a couple of top 15 teams. The Oregon State Beavers, pleased to be joined by longtime head coach Scott Ruick. And coach, thanks for joining us. I imagine things are good as we head to the home stretch of the regular season, head towards March. No complaints. Things are great. Team's doing great. Um, we're having a lot of fun. Last year, a struggle. You lost a lot of scoring from the year prior. You missed the tournament, but you know a lot of young players got a lot of minutes and potentially seeing the rewards of that this year. You know, you've seen tournament teams. You've seen Sweet 16 teams. You've seen Final Four teams. Was there a moment with this group, maybe in the summer or the preseason or early in the year, where you thought to yourself and your staff, like, hey, we might have something here? We had our Italy experience in August. So just by chance, you know, every four years you get that foreign tour. And that means 10 practices and, you know, three or four games. We played three this year, but we were, you know, immersed together for uh, 10, 11 days uh, in August. Um, to go along with all that practice time. And so, you know, during that stretch, it, it was obvious to us that this group is special. You know, this group just, A, they get along. Um, you know, the chemistry was great right off. They were enjoying each other. Um, but then when they competed, I mean, it, it was, I mean, they were fierce. It was just uh, fun to watch them play so hard. And, you know, any coach would love to see that, expects that, of course. But this group, they don't even need a, a, a motivational talk. It was just a every once in a while a reminder, um, you know, and a little direction. But the effort and the intensity that they competed with right out of the gate was special. And so that made me think right off that, you know, the ceiling for this group is high. And uh, we knew we had talent. We knew we had a, a returning group that was really hungry to restore this program, you know, back to, you know, what we've been for a long time, you know, a, a team that's a tough out every night and a team used to winning a lot of games every year and, and playing in the tournament. And uh, that's what they came here for. That's that's exactly, you know, who they signed up to, to or what they signed up to be a part of. And um, like you mentioned, a year ago, um, we didn't win at the level um, that we were used to. So I think that motivation fueled that um, intensity. And then, you know, everything just has hit and continued. Your numbers are, you know, up across the board this season compared to last year. Your points per game are up. Your points allowed are down. Seed improvements in rebounding, three-point percentage, kind of all of it. Is there one particular area that you'd point to to say this team has shown the most most growth? I would say d the defensive end overall. I, I think, you know, as hard as we played, uh, we were inaccurate a lot. We were just lacked experience together. Uh, we, I would say we were a, a good defensive team last year, but not great. 
and our program's been built on great defenses um, over the years. And, you know, to get back to that um, had, was the number one thing that I, I started the year off with. Um, I just showed the team. I, if you're going to be a Final Four team, there are very few exceptions to this rule. Um, and if, if there is an exception, it's because you're elite in something else. Um, see Iowa. Um, but every other team is elite defensively. The final four teams are typically the four best defensive teams year in and year out, or then they're in the top five, six. And, and so if we want that, if you, and in this conference, it's true. If you want to win this conference and compete at the top of it, you have to be a great defensive team. And that's been a journey and it's been a progression. And, and it's to this team's credit. Um, I mean, I give them all the credit in the world. They, they want to be coached and they want to look at their mistakes and that's not common anymore and i i feel like they're we're kind of a throwback in a way to that i mean they they're gritty and hungry they're like coach please correct me thank you for correcting me <laughs> i mean it's, it's dreamy you know for a teacher which is how i consider myself and and so um watching the progression in accuracy and intensity and then a commitment now to hold each other accountable within it it's special and so that's why we're putting up the numbers we are and that's that's why we're we've had the success we've had it's been built there and another big key, last year you lost a lot of close games, like 4-11 and 11 in single-digit games. You're 6-2 and two this year. Is, is learning to win, is that a real thing? Like your first close game of the year, you beat a pretty good Villanova team. You're coming off those L.A. losses. You win in, what, double overtime or overtime to Arizona? Like, is learning to win these close games, is that like a, a tangible thing? A hundred percent. It's a skill. Uh, and it's a, it's fun for, you know, a teacher and a coach to get to that point with a group where they are gritty and they love that moment, you know, and they want to come through and they know how to come through and their minds are right in it and they embrace it. And you're right. We, we made too many mistakes a year ago in those moments, you know, to be able to close out good teams. And, and in this conference, um, you have to be able to execute at your highest level at that moment and in those moments. And this this year, this team knows where to go with the ball offensively. They know how to take care of it. They know our, who we are. And then they've developed that confidence and that skill level on the defensive end cohesively you know, to get stops. And you mentioned the Villanova game. I would say that was a huge moment for this team. Um, previously, that you know, a year ago, that might have been a game that got away from us. And this year... It was such a great sign to just see us make every play and outplay them in the last couple minutes of that game because that was a team we we were unproven at the time we were coming out that was our second game of the year villanova's coming off a 30 30 win season you know and they came in with that that confidence and that swagger we win and so we overcame that which was were some of those demons from a year ago and i thought i thought that sent a great message even that early in the year to what was to come Reagan Beers came in last year as a highly ranked recruit and lived up to all of the hype. I mean, Pac-12 freshman of the year, six woman of the year in the conference. And she seems to have really taken a leap forward again here in, in her second year, putting up All-American type numbers. How transformational has she been to the resurgence of your team this year? Yeah, perfect person at the perfect time. You know, you look at her and you look at Tamia Gardner also coming in, both McDonald's All-Americans, uh, part of the third ranked recruiting class that joined us a year ago. And um, went through a really tough freshman year, you know, from a winning standpoint. But it was a great year, as you had mentioned. They got a lot of minutes and a lot of experience, and and that kind of fueled, I think, this off season, you know. And so Ray came in with great feet, great hands, um, you know, an amazing ability to finish around the basket and just be such a strong presence and plays innately just so hard. Um, 
but then was so hungry in the offseason to get better, developed her perimeter game, um, understood kind of through humility, just, OK, I've got a lot to learn. I've got, I've got a lot of room to grow defensively. I've got in, and wanted to. And so when you watch her game now, I mean, she's she beats people to spot. She plays great position defense. Um, she knows where to pick her spots to get steals, block shots. Um, you know, I mentioned her hands. I mean, you throw the ball up. Ray's going to come down with it. Um, that come, That's a pass or a rebound. And then maintain balance through it all, you know, and finish so well left and right. And so um, she's just a, a joy to be around. She sets the tone for us each day. She's the voice that you hear over everyone else um, at the beginning of practice. I mean, she just sets that tone. Great teammate, uh, character through the roof, you know. So she's a dream. And, uh, you know, if you're starting a program, building a program, uh, you want Reagan beers on your squad. How about Talia Von Olhoffen? I mean, she's the elder statesman of sorts you don't have any seniors on the roster she's the the fourth year junior came in early what's her impact on, on the program i mean you see the stat sheet you know second leading scorer all that good stuff but what is her impact off the court as well uh man glue um confidence togetherness coach on the floor uh talia has elevated this year into a leader that any coach would dream to have um she she has embraced the defensive end. You know, when you're an offensive player like Talia, where you can shoot from anywhere, handle the ball like a point guard, have court vision as, I mean, she has the best court vision of anyone I've ever coached. Um, and you have all that skill set, and then you give in to the defensive end. And now you're a lockdown defender asking for the toughest guard matchup every night and embracing it. And your team sees you selling out. Um, that just gives more, even more validity to everything you say. And she is doing, is doing that. So I feel like I have a, another assistant coach um, because she understands this game at such a high level. So when she talks, um, everyone listens. And now, you know, her complete game, just watching her want to be coached, her progress on both ends of the floor just commands respect, you know, and, and what more could you ask? And so we've got a leader that's stepping up with so much strength and courage and then pouring into her teammates on and off the floor and giving them confidence. And so it's a, it's a dream scenario uh, for, for all of us. And I'm so happy uh, for Talia to uh, see herself that way and to recognize it and to step up into it. So uh, courageously. I mean, beyond Talia, Reagan obviously gets a lot of the headlines, but your team is also really deep. You're getting over 25 points a game from your bench. Is this one of the deeper teams you've had at Oregon state? No question. I mean, it, it, we've been able to go one through 12. Uh, we're redshirting Sue this year, but one through 12 and not really dip. I mean, it, it, it's incredible, actually, how the depth and for a coach, it's a little bit of a challenge. And it has been, you know, it's like, who, who do I go with right in this moment? Because lots of people could fill this moment. Um, we've had different people rise. I mean, um, you know, Adley Blacklock hasn't hasn't played in every game um, yet two weeks ago or three weeks ago now against Utah and, and Colorado, she played huge minutes and she got stories written about her, you know, and she turned into everybody knew now the team calls her madly now because of how excited she gets when she hits a three and, and she's such just a, almost like a cult hero uh, within our program. And, um, and so, yes, this team is deep. Um, we're versatile because of it. Um, we have depth at every position and they all bring something slightly unique. And so it's, it's a, uh, it's a problem for our opponents, and it's a great problem for us. You mentioned the Utah-Colorado wins. You just swept them both for the season. You know, big rivalry win a couple weeks ago against Oregon. Congratulations, your award now. You get to host UCLA-Stanford or UCLA-USC. Yeah. 
you go to the postseason bound Washington schools, you still got to host Stanford. Like Pac 12's always been good. What's it like this year in particular where it seems like they're just, there truly aren't nights off top to bottom? Yeah, there's not. It's been that way for a little while now. Um, you know, we have had a lot of great teams in this conference. And people ask me, is this the best it's ever been? And I'm, I don't know. I mean, uh, when I got here, Stanford had two Agumakes, you know, on the team. And uh, um, it, it, we've had so many great players, great teams. Um, Kelsey Plum, Sabrina. You, I mean, just go down the list. Um, two Final Four teams a couple times. Um, anyway, so... I think this what's unique right now is the coaches have had some such longevity that cultures have been dri- um, built and consistently built for years now to where there's they know who they are. Um, they know who we are. Uh, and so we're scouted so well. Um, so every night is an absolute war. We've been able to re- keep players on the West Coast, recruit from all over the world. And, um, you know, it, it's in our last act here. Um, as a conference, um, we're going out in style. I can tell you that. And so uh, I've just had a, a, a blast. And, and this, this team this year or this conference this year, um, it, it really is. It's special uh, it, it, to have so many teams ranked like we are. And, and you mentioned our schedule, and that's one of the best things going for us is, um, you know, if anybody says, oh, Oregon State, you know, they think they're, they've made it or something like that because now we're getting media attention. Uh, look at our schedule. There's no moment <laughs> to relax, um, just as you mentioned, and uh, that's a credit to everyone in our conference. How much will that help you in March? You I mean you go Friday, Sunday, pretty much like the NCAA tournament, yeah. as opposed to some of these other leagues that go, you know, they play Tuesday or Wednesday, won't play again until Saturday, Sunday. You know, how much is just the schedule on top of the competition a primer for March? Perfect uh, in in every way. I, th- I think we see so many different looks um, within this conference. We're challenged every night um, that, you know, that's why we've done so well as a conference in the tournament, I think, over the years. It's just we're so prepared, um, not only, um, you know, in the ways you just discussed, uh, the schedule's the same, you know, and so it feels like the tournament, it feels like NCAA tournament every week, um, you know, to just the level that we have to compete at for so long is tournament level. And so it just feels like a continuation, you know, um, once you, yeah, I mean, it's a continuation. And so it's perfect. Well, congrats on the great season so far. Good luck the rest of the way into March and hopefully beyond. And uh, thank you very much for joining us. Head coach of the Oregon State Beavers, Scott Ruick. My pleasure. Thank you. So, Megan, what were your takeaways from our chat with Coach Ruick? He had some technical difficulties at the end. You couldn't hear his last answer. But overall, this is a team that they're deep. They have some star power. And now they're starting to pick up some marquee wins this is a program that's always been good but now they're starting to get some national attention and they have an opportunity starting this weekend against ucla and usc to really really get into that convo of yes they'll probably host but could they be you know climb up two seed maybe yeah i think this weekend's gonna answer whether or not that's a possibility pretty quickly but yeah i think my takeaway was just like the talent that's on this team and the way that they've been able to use their schedule to really like build up their confidence going into the the Pac-12 season we saw you know they were undefeated in the non-conference didn't necessarily play a ton of big opponents in that but coming off the type of season they had last year and with a, a relatively young roster I think that stretch was really good for them in terms of like this finding the ways to get things done and, and getting organized and 
picking up some confidence along the way. And then now they've been able to take that and come into the Pac-12 and really make a name for themselves in terms of, like, they had the conference late there waiting for them to prove if they were legit or not, and they've certainly done that. Yeah, I think last week I wanted them to go 5-3, and 4-4 and four mm-hmm. in this final eight-game stretch where they're already 2-0. and oh. um, And again, really, most weekends in the Pac-12, even at home, if you're going to ask to go 2-0 and oh, more times than not, that's, that's a tall task, mm-hmm. none taller than welcoming in full-strength UCLA. Welcoming in, you just never know what you're going to get with USC. If you get good juju, it's a long day. If you get okay juju, they're gettable. Um, I'm I'm firmly, I have two favorite teams, and they're both OSU. So I need a Buckeyes Beavers (laughs) uh, national championship game. That would just tickle (laughs) me. Uh, Ohio State, by the way, they are a buzzsaw right now hammered Michigan State. That game was a 30-point game at one point. I think that was in East Lansing. And then off the big uh, Iowa win, Breeze passed Nebraska. This is the Ohio State team that you and I were waiting for at the start of the year. Yeah, I think we've seen that. And so much of that is Cody McMahon in terms of where she stepped up in scoring. But I also think her impact on the defensive end, I wrote something on them, I think it was last weekend. And over there, this was as of last weekend, so it's probably changed a little bit. But over their last, like, 10 games, their paint defense has been, like, field, paint field goal percentage defense has been the best in the country, which is not what I'm recently saying about Big Ten teams, right? We're not usually talking about how good the defense is. So they've really stepped it up there, too. I mean, there's still holes at the rim and stuff a little bit, but they're able to kind of have enough on the defensive end combined with what the scoring they're getting between McMahon and Sheldon, and they're really – in form right now. Yeah, I mean, that was always the thing with Ohio State. If, it's a big if, if you were able to release that pressure valve that's just on you and not turn the ball over 25 times in a game, once you get into the half court, there are points there to be had. And now if they've cracked down on that, plus, like Sunday's game, I think is a little bit of an outlier. Cody McMahon shot it five times on Sunday mm-hmm. at Michigan State, played just 19 minutes, and they blew the doors off of them. Uh, I think, are they the number two team in the country now? Yes, they're they're the ignominious second ranked team in the country, which means they're probably going to lose because um, that's what number teams number two teams do this year. Uh, who they got? Penn State again, a, a team that can score a lot. But mm-hmm. I, I was all in on Ohio State, and then I was wildly disappointed with the start of their year, and now they're sitting there at twenty two and three. They've won twelve straight. All the way back, baby. All the way back in. OSU, OSU, national title. Sorry, South Carolina. (laughs) Um, Looking forward to this weekend. Other games. Pac-12 obviously dominates Friday. We talked Oregon State, UCLA. Utah, Colorado. Utah eventually. Like, they beat UCLA. And that's that's pretty much their marquee win. Eventually, (laughs) they're going to show up like their metrics say they will, right? Right. You would think. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, and then Cal Stanford, Cal, you have as one of the first four out team. I'm not going to pretend like I know a whole lot about Cal. Um, can you enlighten me a little bit as they had the only game this weekend for those two, since they're the pairing uh, Cal Stanford. I assume this is a game that if you're looking first four out tall task, need to win it. Yeah. Tall task, but yeah, I win would really 
I'll help them out. I do think, just in general, the Pac-12, like, bubble teams get a little bit of a boost from what we saw yesterday. Not that, like, they did anything, but I thought the committee showed, even like, we all knew they were the Pac-12 was going to be very well represented in that reveal. But Oregon State being on the three line, Colorado being on the one line, I thought that showed even more respect for the conference than I thought they were going to show. So I feel like that bodes well for teams on the bubble and that they probably also get a bit of a boost from that. And because they swept the Washington teams on the road last week, it's a, it's a big one for them. That's what puts them back in that that last four in. But, yeah, I, I do think they kind of need this, this Stanford win. Um, or, I don't know, winning out after that might be good enough. They'd have to beat Oregon State to do that on the road. So that's pretty tough too. But I think if you, you know, you pick up the one at Arizona state at Arizona and Oregon, and then, you know, pick up one of the Stanford and Oregon state, you've got a decent shot. Then would they have to, I imagine they'd have to win a game in the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah. They're, they're sitting there right now. I mean, they'll play on that Thursday, mm-hmm. Thursday, Wednesday, whatever the, the, yeah, not the opening round, but the second round, they'll play that day. So you might need to win one of those games um, right now they're sitting 60th in the net. So that's going against them. Yeah. Um, you can be really high in the net and it doesn't matter. It's hard to be really low in the net and have it right. not matter. Um, other bubble teams to play this weekend, Tennessee at Vanderbilt lady Vols won the first game in Knoxville last month. Is this a must win for the Commodores or for that matter, the lady Vols or do, does Tennessee have at least a little bit of wiggle room? I think Tennessee has a little bit of wiggle room. Um, but yeah, I think Bandy needs the win here. Bama Auburn. Loser think, loser out. Yeah. I have Bama a little bit more firmly in, but they're okay. certainly still on the bubble. So I don't know that a loss totally knocks them out, but it certainly doesn't help them. Auburn is in that first four out. I think if you lose this one, yeah, you're probably done with that conversation. Yeah, I forgot that Bam- Bama's played pretty well the last few weeks, so they can probably yeah. afford a loss that isn't against South Carolina LSU. And then Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Mississippi State is firmly in. Ole Miss eked out an overtime win last night against Florida team that isn't going anywhere. Is Ole Miss, I want to ask if they're in danger because they're sitting there at 17 and 7, but like they don't have a marquee win at all. Um, this is obviously coming off a sweet 16 berth last year. They, this is their best remaining game. So there's five chances to trip up the rest of the way. Mississippi state, Georgia, Mizzou, Kentucky, Arkansas. None of those are um, awe-inspiring. You would imagine they'd win most of them, but if they start losing a couple of these games, are they in any danger? Maybe. I think they would need to lose multiple of them. I think one loss, they're probably fine, but I think I think it's all in the eight line in the eight nine range. I don't I don't think they're in too much danger unless they drop a couple bad games. They just yeah they... the resume is like it's not bad because like Ricky said they only have the seven losses but it's also not good. I love the energy of Coachio. I'm starting to do <laughs> some SEC tournament prep for when I go to Greenville next month and I like took a deep dive in the Rebs last week. It's like they just, you know, I love Coach Yo. I love the energy. I love the the demands that she's trying to bring to the school and the fan base to come support the team. I just, just trying to be 
she's trying to build a team like South Carolina, but they're not South Carolina. So they're never going to be as like, they're never going to beat South Carolina trying to play that way. They just, they refuse mm-hmm. to shoot threes. It just, I don't know. It bugs me. Cause I really like coach. Yo, I really like the program she's building. They've just, they've disappointed coming off of last year's run. Um, mm-hmm. And they still have a chance to obviously make good on that. They can go on another run. Cause they they're in line to be like what an eight, nine seed, maybe yeah. a little higher do it again. And you know, mm-hmm. prove it all wrong. Make me look like an idiot again. Fine. I just want a little bit more from a team that they have the capability. Um, just be a little more dynamic offensively. Uh, Big Ten, Michigan, Michigan State, Spartans. Stop taking 30-point losses, but they should be in. And now it's crunch time for Michigan, I would imagine, too. So we talk about teams that like need to start winning. Yeah. Michigan is certainly one of them. They are. What did I have them? I think on the first four out. They just lost to Iowa. They, they need to pick up some wins to, to get on the better side of the bubble. And then Maryland, Penn State. Maryland took care of business against Illinois. If they win this weekend, I think I think that puts them in. Um, assuming, I, I again, so. win the games you're supposed to win. Right. And win this one. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think they're probably okay at this point as long as they don't lose games they shouldn't. Uh, Next week. UConn, Creighton, and Hartford doesn't do a whole lot for me. Like, but Creighton, Creighton's pretty much, they are where they are. They're going to be, again, one of those six, seven seeds that never really moved out of that range the entire year. UConn is who they are. It's a noon game in Hartford. Yeah. Um, that doesn't do a lot for me. And that's really <laughs> hard to go to a noon basketball game when you have a day job. <laughs> President's Day. Yeah, we don't get that off. <laughs> Hate to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, Wednesday, West Virginia, Kansas State. Sure. Yeah. Kansas State. My thing with Kansas State now, Aoka Lee is back. I gave them, you know, a free pass for a month to right. lose whatever you need to. That free pass is gone. They they need to run the table. UCF this weekend needs to be a win. West Virginia is the hardest remaining game. Win it. They go to Kansas. They host Iowa State. And they're at Texas Tech. Win out. And I'll whatever the version of believing in you is come March. <laughs> if you don't win out, maybe, maybe your thoughts on the big 12 are just, they're right. That the big 12 isn't very good. Um, and then Thursday, Iowa, Indiana, Iowa won big. Was that game at Carver Hawkeye? Or was that at assembly hall last time? I think it was at Carver Hawkeye, but honestly, I, I can't keep it all straight. <laughs> Looking it up. Well, that's the wrong conference. Big 10. That game is, yes, Thursday's game next week is in Bloomington. Do you need, like, eventually you want to see Indiana do something do against a team? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, they haven't done anything for me currently. Like, you didn't beat Ohio State. You didn't, you got blown out by Iowa. You got blown out by Stanford. I think their best win is Michigan State. Like, it just doesn't do a whole lot for me. I want to see them do something before the season ends, especially if you're going to host. If you're going to host, you should have to win some big game in there, and that's their only chance left until the Big Ten tournament. Fair enough. Uh, Megan, this is the last we will hear from you. You are taking a vacation. You are off next Friday. Where Give us the lowdown. You don't have to tell <laughs> us you know, where you're going, but – What's on the itinerary? I believe it's a bachelorette party. Like it is my sister's bachelorette party, so a fair amount of drinking. And let's see, we're doing 
uh, we're playing some pickleball. I was late to record because I was booking a pickleball court. And what else? Taking a ghost tour that also involves drinking. So mostly a lot of drinking as bachelor parties go. Well, lucky for you, I'm trying to pull up the schedule here, but ESPN is not cooperating. Like, is she a basketball person? At no, all? but not well. A UConn basketball person. We live in Connecticut, okay. so yeah. But you're not like 10 p.m. next Friday night. You're walking down Bourbon Street, like triple yeah. screen. Washington State, Oregon State. <laughs> Washington, Oregon. Cal, ASU. Like you see someone strolling down Bourbon Street, just like <laughs> multiple phones in hand, just staring intently at women's college basketball. Congratulations. Say hi to Megan Gallagher. <laughs> yep exactly uh megan enjoy it calvin wetzel will be filling in of her hoop stats so we'll have fun uh we'll get all of his thoughts and he can tell us how smart or dumb we are with all of our opinions <laughs> on things and i'll get his and uh, we'll have a good time so megan enjoy your week off enjoy the weekend we'll talk to you in two weeks when it'll be march the next time we talk march and we will have had another reveal so we'll have a very good idea of where things are going into conference tournaments yes we'll have fun talk to you in two weeks Megan. sounds good